listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you something, people. You know I love music. And, you know, I've been going to concerts since I was back in high school. And I was lucky enough, living 20 minutes from Philadelphia, that we always had great shows. And I was also lucky that my parents let us, would drive us in, and I had friends whose parents would drive us back. And I remember going to the Spectrum and seeing my guest today, and he was playing guitar, and it was in probably 1980, and I remember him just jamming, and I love Jethro Tull, and I remember when he played Aqualong, we all went crazy, and my guest is Martin Barr. How you doing, Martin? Hi, Steve. You know, I was, I was an old man even then, 1980. Yeah. <laughs> now, Not really. I, I just, it's all these, uh, these dates, they, they sort of scare me. Especially now it's, you know, now we're in the 2000s and 20s coming up. It's, uh, it's quite a sobering thought that I was, I'm still doing what I was doing um, 50 years ago. Well, it amazes me because, you know, you, you're right. You've been playing for so long and, you know, it, it's to have a career that keeps going. It's a testament to you and your talent. But when did you start playing guitar? Were you a young child or when did you pick up the guitar for the first time? Now, you went to college, I believe, right? Did you start to go to college to start a, a degree in architecture? And then you just... Yes. And then, now, what did you? What made you want to not do architecture and play music more? I mean, of course, it's an obvious uh, choice. We'd all want to be rock stars instead of architectures. Yeah. But what made you do they, that? They threw, they threw me out. Okay. I said, uh, bar, you are useless. Uh, the only thing you can do when you're as bad as you are is be a musician. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I, you know, I pretty well hated it because the architecture um, was pretty dull in the 60s. Uh, and uh, n n now it's a wonderful beast. You, know, you can design gorgeous buildings and it's, it's an art form. That, that then it was purely, you know, you, you, you were sort of, uh, uh, it, it was just very pedestrian. Um, I, I hated the course. I, I hated the people that did the course. And, and I spent all my time playing, so um, I, I was at nearly every night gigging, and it, inevitably um, my work suffered, and uh, they said, well, they, they said I could come back and do the year again. Um, I, I couldn't face it. So uh, amazingly, my parents let me um, pack a suitcase and uh, drive up to London. Now, what kind of places were you gigging at in those early days? Were they bars? Were they tough gigs? Uh, <laughs> tiny clubs. Bars, clubs, weddings, birthday parties, occasionally a theatre, you know, where they'd have like four or five bands on. Um, 
Yeah, but but uh, the, the amazing thing was in 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 the six the early sixties that that there were so many gigs and uh, there were bands playing seven nights a week. So there's a, a lot of bands around, and they all worked. You know, obviously the money was silly, but it, it, nobody cared. You know, people just wanted to play. But we, we played nearly every night. It, it was amazing when you think about it how how, how much music thrived in those early years. Now, what kind of music were you playing in those early years? Were you playing originals? Were you playing covers? What did the people want you to hear? Yeah. Book yeah, it, it, it was all covers because it, no, no, nobody really had the incentive to write music because, uh, you know, there's a, you could have a... I think being a pop star and having a hit record was so remote, so, you know, removed from reality. It's just something that happened to other people that there's no concept of saying, you know, we're, we're going to write a, a, a record and we're going to become pop stars and go on TV and radio. Um it was a different world. It wasn't one that we aspired to. Um, but we played uh, gigs. We played the pop music of the of the Beatles, but then we played Little Richard, Gene Vincent, um, Eddie Cochran, The Ventures, uh, Bo Diddley, Buddy Holly. Uh, it, we, we played nearly all American music and American rock and roll and a lot of Chuck Berry. Uh, but, but essentially, this is what the, the, the climate dictated. It, that's what uh, audiences wanted to hear. So I think in the first five years that I played music, I, I was playing the music that, that got us work. Now, you're playing music, and then how does the audition happen for Jethro Tull? Were you playing a gig with them, I believe, or, or how did you end up mm -hmm. hooking up with them? What, well, tell me that story, because I heard you were very nervous on the first audition. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I had quite a sheltered life as a musician. I, I was only in two bands. The first band, when I was at school, and then, you know, when I turned professional, I was with one band for three years, and, and, and we sort of changed. I was a guitarist, but... But it, but it was soul music was big, so I, I played saxophone. I mean, luckily I played my flute because I, I, I picked up a flute at school and had lessons when I was about fifteen. Um, so I played a bit of flute, a lot of saxophone, and a, and a tiny bit of guitar. Um, but eventually, the blues boom started in England in in '68, and uh, and and thankfully everybody wanted the blues. Everybody wanted a guitar, so I got my gig back with the same band. So we sort of um, metamorphed into a blues band from a, whatever we were doing bef the year before. Uh, and I, uh, I played a lot more flute, and I played all, all my guitar. Uh, and the, I'd heard of Jethro Tull because it was the only other band in England that featured a flute playing blues flute, Roland Kirk, which is the style that I played in. So... We both knew about each other, but had never met. And then finally, we, we had a gig near where I live now in Plymouth, and we, we played this, um, um, this this club in Plymouth. Uh, and uh, that, that, that's where I met Toll. And sort of three months after that, that Mick uh, left the band, and uh, they they were thinking about who they could audition and they remembered me but they couldn't remember my name the name of the band so it, it took them a, 
a few weeks to, to track me down, which they eventually did. So you get the audition, and how do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's terrible because it was just a, a basement room in, in, in London. It was uh, uh, The band was set up in the middle, Clyde Bunker, Glenn Cornick, and Ian was hovering around. There was a guitar amp set up, and, uh, and the room was lined around the walls with guitar players <clears throat> with their little guitar cases in their hands. And, you know, one went up to play. And, uh, you know, according to how good or bad they were, they got anything from a minute to three or four minutes to play. And and you, you saw it, it, this happened in front of everybody else. So it was horrible. And uh, I didn't play very well. My guitar was feeding back because it was a semi-acoustic in fact, I played so badly, I said, do you mind if I play a bit of flute? Um, and I played the flute really well. <laughs> but of course, the, 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 the gig for the flute wasn't going at the time. Um, so, uh, and, you know, at the end, they said, well, you know, you're in the front runners. And I think they'd narrowed it down to three or four guitar players. Um, they went with Tony Iommi and they, they did a, a, they mined the rock and roll circus, the Stones, TV show, um, but I, I just called Ian to see how things were getting on, and he said, "Well, you know, funnily enough, you know, Tony Iommi is sort of thinking about uh, not taking the gig, and you know, for various reasons. So, but we still haven't made a decision." And, and I said, "Well, give me another chance. I played terrible. I can play better than that. I'd, I'd love another chance to try." And this time, it was just me and uh, the rest of the guys at Tull in in a in a rehearsal room for a whole day, and uh, that's how it happened. Isn't it amazing? You know, we always talk about second chances, and and my mother always, yes. had, growing up, she said, "You don't know what's going to happen unless you ask." And isn't it amazing that you asked just to come back and you you touched yeah. base, which is a you know which was a good business move, and then now mm. you know it led to this fabulous career where you played for years. I mean, did you ever think that that yeah. phone call would change your life? Oh, I, well, I, all the time, because it, it wasn't in my characteristics to, to be pushy or forthcoming. So so it was, a, as, I was as a character, I, I would never normally, um, you know, make that phone call. But I, I just thought something in me, I just thought if, if there was one gig that was meant for me in this world, it was that one. You know, I, I loved the band and, and I'd been playing for three years, sort of sleeping on floors and, you know, eating beans out of cans. And uh, and I just thought, you know what, That's, this is what I wanted all that time. Um, I, I just thought it was perfect for me, but I didn't know I was perfect for them and I didn't think I, I was. And I probably wasn't, but I, I don't know what made me do it. But it, it's uh, instinct. I, I don't know. It's a, uh, as you say, it's a, a very strange m- moment. Now you joined the band, and on their second album, when you wrote, you joined when, for the second album, I believe, and that's that became started their uprise of success. But what is it like mm-hmm. being someone who is? Some you you are an outsider joining a new band. Is it hard for you to acclimate in the beginning, or did they open you come yeah. with open arms? It, it it was very hard because that they they still I was still auditioning 
you know, the, the, the first week or two, we, we started gigging in England. And, and, and just the way they treated me, you know, was even in rehearsals, you know, we, we sort of had to take a break and they'd all go to one side of the room, you know, and sit down and have a tea and sandwich and they'd leave me on my own. <laughs> so I ended up talking to the roadie, um, uh, Steve Bailey, Roy Bailey. Um, and, 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 but I just got the, the, the very uh, distinct feeling that, that they, they, they weren't convinced at all. So it was very nerve-wracking. And plus, when we were the first few shows we did, they, they were expecting a blues band. You know, the, the last time they saw Toll was with Mick Abrams. It was pure blues. Slide guitar, Big Bill Bronzy, Sonny Brown, Terry McGee, this sort of blues material. And, 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 and lo and behold, here we were with me, and it wasn't the blues anymore, and they didn't like it. Um, and it, it, it took the, the first show we'd, we played in that they actually liked the music and responded to it was in Manchester. And it was about the fourth or fifth show that I played with them. So it, it, it was a, I mean, I think Ian was um, like me because it was his music. So so he really wanted people to like his new music. Uh, and I really wanted them to like me. So, so both me and him were incredibly relieved when we went down really well in Manchester. We just thought, okay, there's, there's the door. It's opened. There's, there's that little tunnel of light. Let's go into it. And then uh, the next thing we were with Hendrix in Scandinavia as a support band, and it it, it was hard work because we we were transformed from a blues band to whatever Jethro Tull is, you know, you know whatever adjective you call the music, but it was different, um, and it, it was a big change. Now, do you what do you consider Jethro Tull's music? Is do you consider progressive? Because a lot of people have always given uh, that term progressive. What do you consider it? Uh, I, I, I don't, you know, uh, and, and I don't label it, and I don't label my music that I do today. Um, but progressive covers it, but, you know, it's an adjective. It, I don't know what it means. I know, I always, <laughs> I always wonder that, too. People go prog rock. I go, well, explain it, and, and no one can ever explain it. Yeah. They can never no, say. No, they can't. <laughs> yeah. I think it just covers every other genre of music <laughs> that doesn't fit into folk, blues, or jazz. But uh, no, I, I, you know, it, it's. I, I think you know, it's like Beefheart or even Zappa. You know, how do you describe his music? It's it's um, it's unique. It's individual. Uh, not everybody likes it, but it survived, as did all those people, because it, because it was so different so unpredictable and uh i think i think we're in in a a world where most bands um it, it was a it was a production line you know that the album one to album 10 you know just sort of small changes that I, I think most bands were formula but but certainly told never were and uh but we never needed a um uh, a title or, or a, a description. It was Toll. What sort of music you play? You play Toll music, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, Fine. now, now, when did your when did you guys start breaking it in the U.S. and when did you first come over? 
we came over, you know, that I, I should have that date down. I've got a history of toll somewhere, but I think it was quite early in 69. It could have been uh, February, late January, but we, whenever it was, we flew into New York. We, we played Fillmore East. All our gear got stolen, so we're playing with borrowed gear. We supported Blood, Sweat and Tears. Um, and uh, But that was our introduction to America, and but the audience loved us. From, from the first show, uh, and then we, we went up to Boston, then we went to Detroit, Chicago, over t- to Seattle, um, down to San Francisco and, and L.A., and, and this was all like over a three-month period, so we only did gigs at weekends, and the rest of the time we're doing you know interviews and trying to get a record deal, but, but it, it was so exciting, and... And, and you know, America has, uh, no, no, you know, there's no agenda, and, and that's the great thing about America that they're so open to listening to anything. They might not like it, but but they're they're going to give it a try. And uh, it, it, I think America and Tull were a marriage, you know, made in heaven because uh, um, if it wasn't for America, there'd be no Tull. Now, for me, I, I got turned on to Tall when, with Aqualung. And listen, I, I, live, I live right now, and I grew up outside Philadelphia. And there was a station, mm. classic, classic rock stations. And Aqualung was, yeah. was a different song. I mean, for us, you know, because it, 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 was, it was great, and it had the, uh, the guitar solo. And now, tell me, like, mm. when, did, how, did he, how does the guitar solo come about? Do you write that, or did Ian write that? How do you sit there and put a guitar solo in a song? Because a lot of songs, I mean, that's a kick-ass guitar solo, and you've probably played it thousands upon thousands of times, and it probably Mm -hmm. never gets old. But how did that guitar solo come about in that song? Um, In those days, and and moving on into the latter albums, uh, Ian's songwriting, he would write a song, basic chords, uh, a very um, transparent frame for the music, and then Tull, whoever were in Tull, would sit down and arrange it, add to it, um, embellish it. So, so the framework of Aqualung was just the verses and the riff, you know. The, the uh, and then said, well, you know, let's have a guitar solo. So I sort of figured out the feel and the half time and the chords, which is sort of based really very much you know around the chords of the song a uh, slight slight change um so I, I wrote the framework of a solo and and in those days you know we were, were probably on eight track recording so you, you know you, you don't get 20 goes at a solo um you, you had a couple of goes uh, on two tracks and if you didn't get it uh there either was no solo or Somebody else would have a go at it, you know, probably Ian and make it a flute solo. So it, it was all very on the spur of the moment, I, and I hadn't planned the solo. Um, you know, if you made a mistake, that was really bad news. You know, nowadays you can really push the envelope because you know if you make, blow it and make a mistake, you just sort of go back to the beginning and, and try again. Um, but in those days, it, it, the, the rules were different. You know, it was that the, the emotion was so intense recording because you, you had one or two goes at it, and that was it. 
uh, but, but it produced a different style of music. You know, it's not perfect. Got sort of burps and farts in it. Uh, you know, notes that are a bit wobbly, but you know that that, that was the beauty of, of of the music of that era. That there wasn't the crisp perfection that you hear on record nowadays, where it, it's almost manufactured. It's so perfect, but it it, it was really nitty gritty live as it happened. Now you said you came over the first time your instruments got stolen, and you were you were an opening act mm. for a support act for Blood, Sweat, and Tears and others. When was the transition to when Jethro Tull started headlining? And was it from clubs and then then arenas? Because I saw you at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Was it from smaller clubs and then yeah. big clubs? What was the um, progression for that? We were, we were doing big clubs from the very start, big theatres, big clubs. And then I think the second tour we supported Led Zeppelin for uh, doing the big outdoor shows. And, and and we had half an hour. You know, we were the warm-up band, but there were huge audiences, and and they liked us. So, but really, on the back of that, the next time we toured America, we, we were headliners. Um, so we we owe Led Zeppelin that that opportunity, and uh, in that half an hour, and at the tiny bit of the front of stage they let us use, we had to win the audience over, and. Uh, and we, we managed to do it. So we worked hard. That half an hour was the hardest half an hour you could do because you, you had that little window of opportunity. Now, what was it like in in your mind frame when you went from bigger clubs to, as you said, opening for Led Zeppelin, which is they're there to see Zeppelin. They're, it's, but it's mm. a huge crowd. What When you went on stage the first time in front of one of those huge crowds, what was going through your mind? Mm. Well, it, it was the, the whole feeling of, of of all those. Well, certainly the 1969, the first year, because uh, I was playing with every guitar hero in the world: you know, Jeff Beck, Hendrix, uh, Jimmy Page, Mike Butterfield. You know, playing with Grateful Dead, Chicago, uh, Zappa. I mean, I, it, it was terrifying because you know here I was, a little lad from small town in, in England, uh, n- never done very much before, and, and suddenly we're all on this huge arena, and certainly it was very intimidating for me, and, and I mean, and also for Clive, you know, Buddy, Buddy Rich came to a gig uh, where we were playing with uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, uh, so, so, you know, these, it, it was a big challenge, and the big audience as well, but you know the audience was so positive that that you 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 couldn't be you know within a, a minute that, that they they loved it. You, you just got into the atmosphere, and uh, it was like riding a wave. It was uh, the adrenaline and the emotion was just overrode any nervousness. Or but it was great, you know, to have nerves is good. You know, it's it's that lovely feeling of anticipation and nerves. You don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I, I almost cherish that feeling, and, and uh, because it's it's good. I think you know everybody should be nervous. It makes you do better, and and it stands as true now as it did in the early days. 
Now, as, as Tull's getting bigger and bigger, how is your life changing? You know, what is it like as a musician as, you know, you go from, a, you know, you're opening for Zeppelin, but then eventually you were, you were headlining arenas. What's the progression yeah. in your personal life? Is it just, I mean, you seem like a very down-to-earth guy. Were you just really all about mm. the music and just said, I'm just going to roll with it. It's a better hotel. It's a better yeah. bus. I mean, how does it work? Yeah, we, we, we were really straight. You know, we didn't do drugs. I, I don't even remember drinking. But, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I might have had a glass of wine every other gig. It, it wasn't part of what we did. It wasn't because we were puritanical. It's just that we, we didn't do, you know, we were playing complicated music. We were just into the music. We wanted to play great music. We wanted to do better albums. We wanted to do more tours. We wanted to work, 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 rehearse, rehearse, record. We never had time off. We were, we were never home. Uh, we knew we didn't have relations, a relationship or anything. We didn't have time. So uh, it, it was a whirl. It really was a whirlwind of, of activity. And, and uh, it, it was wonderful. But, but we just had that work ethic. And, um, you know, watched other people party. But I, I think from a very early time, you, you could see how it destroyed people. And, and uh, you know, I, I love music far too much to be a victim. Um, well, I, I was never interested, you know. I mean, some people are. I was very lucky not to be, and it's, and it was no, for no other reason than just a natural reason. I just didn't want to do any of that stuff. Uh, and the parching, you know, I just wanted to go back to the hotel and read my book and have a good night's sleep, you know. I mean, why, why not? And that now that's what all bands do. Well, most bands do. It, it was um, that people thought we were dull, and, and it went against the grain. We survived, and that's why we're still doing it forty years later. Now, when you were touring and you're becoming bigger, what was the the schedule of touring and then making a new album. Like how long would you tour and then you'd come out with a new album and how long would you spend mm. usually in studio to record, you know, like let's say when you did Thick as a Brick or Passion Play, how long yeah. would you spend in the studio recording them? Yeah. Well, I was looking at the dates because I was researching this for an, a project I'm doing and I was looking at the dates of the album and there, there literally was one a year for a long time. I mean, it, it was a absolute, absolutely crazy schedule. Um, it, it, it was just a, a non-stop. So, so the the touring fed the albums, and the albums fed the touring. So, uh, you know, you do six months tour, need a new album, guys, in the studio, rehearse, write, record. Uh, the the master goes to the record label. Okay, it's going to be out next month. You're going to have to tour to support it. Off we go again. It it, it was a treadmill, but a, but a, a really good one. Uh, it, it, we never stopped. Uh, we didn't particularly want to stop. And, and in actual fact, uh, Tull only ever had one year off, and that was 1983. Uh, but then in that year off, Ian did his first solo album, Walking to Light, and, and, and I did my first recording um we didn't tour but but we we still uh, worked as musicians 
So we, we uh, uh, but we, we actually said we're going to be a uh, new tours, uh, and then '84 back <laughs> with a vengeance. Uh, but it, it was just it was normal, and, and and that's what I'm doing now. And uh, and I think I look at my schedule this year, and and it's exactly the way it was in the '70s and the '80s and the '90s. It, it was it's just full on. And, uh, and and I love it. Now, as a musician, you know, you, you've been considered, I read somewhere where that you never took guitar lessons because you never wanted to sound like someone else. How yeah. would you describe, why what, which, Why did you do that? Just because it was something that you were, you had your own vision? I mean, because a lot of people take lessons, mm. but for not wanting to sign everything else is awesome. But how, how did mm. you come to that conclusion? No, I, I wish I, I could say I had a vision. But uh, I didn't, and, and it, it, it was the only reason was is that I listened to other guitar players, and I found them really boring. Uh, everybody was trying to play like Albert King and BB King, but they they they, did, they just didn't get it. You know, I just thought, no, you know that that that's not what it is. And I didn't know why. Uh, you know, I didn't analyze it. I just I just what, what, I've always been my own person. You know that I've I've always been left of centre without being. I'm not eccentric, but I don't like following a crowd. I don't want to do monkey see, monkey do. Uh, and musically, I definitely don't. I just don't see any reason to clone somebody else's ideas or uh, phraseology or inspirations. Uh, I love music, but 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 I want to get my inspiration from a whole wide spectrum of music uh, I, it, it was really because I, I didn't want to be another blues clone and you know and, and you still get them today you know guitar players good players but that but you can't tell them apart i just think well this, how much better it is to to just have your own style you don't have to be amazing but recognizable um but then you you're, you're giving the world of music something different you're you you're putting your stamp on that huge world where there's not a lot of originality anyway. I mean, most things you hear, you've heard it before, but it's it's. It, I think it's always been at the front of my agenda just to be your own person. Now you play guitar, you play flute, and I saw on your website you you then you've fallen in love with the mandolin, the mandolin, and I can't even present it. Pronounce it. I don't know if it's bazooki. I don't know how to pronounce yeah, it. When when did you start picking them up? And and it's funny because I have a friend who plays mandolin. I always bust his chops and say, "Are you going to play that ukulele?" And he always get pissed off at me. But <laughs> when when yeah, did you find yeah. when did you find the love for those instruments? And which one did you pick up first? Uh, well, Dave Pegg joined Tull, and from you know he's a folk musician primarily, and uh, and Dave sort of introduced the mandolin. I mean, Ian played a bit of mandolin as well, but he sort of used. Uh, open tunings uh, so he didn't really play in a, in a traditional way but uh, I mean at first I didn't like it because I found it really awkward to play such a small instrument and uh, used, used to a guitar fretboard so I, I didn't like it straight away I, I sort of played it reluctantly um, I don't know I don't know why I, I just slowly slowly got to really enjoy uh, maybe it's a style of music and listening to Irish folk music I think it, uh, folk music in the 
80s and 90s was too traditional. It was like country and like the old country, the Porter Wagner shows. Country was, was a different beast and, and I didn't like it. You know, I respected it, but I didn't really like it. I didn't find it musically uh, challenging or offering anything to me. And the same with folk music. But, but, but then, as of in the early 2000s, late 1990s, that these amazing young young musicians came out of folk music and country, and and they gave us inspiration that that, that these instruments opened up the world. You know the mandolin playing, unbelievable. And you know I've been down the south in in America and listened to guys playing in a bar in Gatlinburg, um, virtuoso mandolin. I think, wow, <laughs> that's unbelievable. Uh, I, I've, I've just grown to like it, and, and I think it helps my guitar playing because it it gives you a sort of back door into music. If you're used to approaching it from the north, once you play mandolin and different tuning, different technique, just a, a different approach, then you're coming from a totally different direction, but you can bring that inspiration back into your guitar playing. Now, I love what I love about your website. People's website is Martin Barr. It's M-A-R-T-I-N-B-A-R-R-E.com. You have mm-hmm. a guitar section. Now, tell me about some of, of those guitars. If you could pick your two or three favorites, tell me your two or three favorite guitars that you've used over the years and why. Um, okay, this is a tricky one because I'm looking at my two favorite guitars right now, and, and in, sat in between them is my mandolin. Okay. <laughs> so my life is, uh, you can't see it, but I can. Uh, so essentially, uh, as a musician, I, I use Soldano amps, I use Marshall cabs, GHS strings, and PRS guitars. That's what I use. I've used them for years and years. They're amazing that they're the best work tools that I've ever had and I endorse them as, as a musician and, and I don't, you know, I don't sort of endorse them for any other reason than they're the best you can get, in my opinion. So so that's my professional side. Um, but they're great guitars, they sound great every night as do the amps, but that's what I want. I, I demand that from my instruments that you, wherever you are, uh, you know, North Montana in the winter, in uh, Dubai in the summer, or, you know, a festival in England, um, or a rainy gig in, you know, in, in northern Germany. But my instruments have to be perfect every night the same, and that's what they give me. Emotionally, I, I, I like, you know, I, I have another side, and I just like instruments that are a bit different and have... You know, have have another side to the personality. So uh, I I like Fender Strats. I'm looking at one now that I play, and uh, and I, you know I've got a vintage Strat, but the one I play is um, maybe eight eight years old. Custom shop I bought secondhand, and and I, I love it. I, I love the sound, the response, the the way it's different. Uh, and then I've got a '58 gold top Les Paul which I bought because we're doing this celebration tour of Jethro Tull's music later this year. And um, I thought, you know what, uh, all, all the YouTubes I see, I'm playing a Les Paul. 
I, I need to have a less pull on that tour. So uh, I, I got a 58 goal top, and, and I've been playing that at the gigs I just finished this week. And yeah, it's, it's just different. It has its has a different personality. So, uh, and my mandolins are made in England by a company called Filed, and they're just beautiful. Now you played gigs this week. Now when you play mm-hmm. a gig these days, I'm sure you play Jethro Tull music, but you also play stuff from uh, Roads Less Traveled, your latest release. Yes. Yes. Now Jethro Tull. They sustained a career through the years, I think, because you had great fans, and even the the music scene had changed. You had a you had a certain music sound that people knew, and mm-hmm. we were going to listen to it. At two thousand twelve, yep. you guys dissolved pretty much. Was it just because it was time had run its course, or or what was that? Because you were together for so long. Yeah, well, well, there was really the band Jethro Tull was Ian Anderson. Martin Barr and Don Perry, uh, the, the the two of the guys that had, had been in Ian's solo band, and and just sort of had had joined the Jethro Tull organisation, but they weren't, but, but they'd never uh, been a part of Jethro Tull albums, recording or writing or arranging. Uh, you know, uh, nice guys, great guys. But, but, but they were sort of jobbing musicians. So it was me, Ian and Doan, who had the heritage of Jethro Tull. And, and Ian just one day said uh, he, he was fed up with Jethro Tull and didn't want to do it anymore. So and oh, go ahead. that was it. So it ends. And then you go on to do 2013, 14, 15, you do solo albums. Mm-hmm. Now, what yeah. is it like when you're doing a solo album, when you go in the studio? What were those early albums like? Because I know this latest album, you have different musicians, you know, you have your band. Mm. But what was it like when you first went out for that first? I mean, you've done so, studio albums before, when you were solo albums when you were Jethro Tull. Mm-hmm. But when you first mm-hmm. went out on your own, with, you're not, there's no Jethro Tull to go back to now. What is it yeah. like when you recorded, went in the studio for the first time? What was your, what did you want to, what kind of music did you want to play? What did you want to convey? Uh, I wanted it to be excellent because, you know, here I was on my own. I had no support, no help, no infrastructure. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a record company. I didn't have a, uh, I didn't have a job. <laughs> the ground had opened up underneath me. Um, with, with no prior um, notice, so uh, but you know as, as I've said earlier, I'm, I'm I'm a very determined person, stubborn, obstinate, but determined, and and uh, but my career was not going to be over. Um, only I am going to decide that, not somebody else. So I, I was the, the best therapy was. Uh, go in the studio, work, and come up with something really special. And and uh, I, I'd had this project sidelined for a few years. I just it'd be nice to to use my mandolins and mandolas, classical guitar, uh, everything in my arsenal, if you like, um, and uh, and and just do musical instrumental representations of, of the lesser known Tull songs. The, you know the, the very melodic ones, and and add my own music to each one of them. I just thought you know it's like a fifty-fifty uh, 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 split. So um, it, it, 
there was a lot to do. It, it was a huge job, and, and it probably took me three months. Uh, and I wrote down all the parts, um, worked out everything, um, but but really, really loved every second of it. You know, it was such a pleasurable thing to do. I had a great engineer. I recorded it all at home, and 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 I still love the album. And you know, I don't like myself. And uh, I, I've, I've never in my life been smug or self-praising, and I never, ever will. But I can listen to the album and really enjoy the fruits of that labour, if you like. Uh, n- n- not in an egotistical way, but I just love melody and harmony and, and how music can be so beautiful. And uh, well, you know, I, it, 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 it was a very therapeutic thing to do. It was hard work, and it sort of gave me time to to reassemble in my mind what I, what I wanted and needed to do in, in, in my life as a musician. And that was with Away With Words? Away With Words, yeah, that was the one. Uh-huh. Now, did you play all the instruments? And if you didn't, how did you find musicians? Because I would guess that, you know, you're a guitar legend, and I think, and, and mm. Jethro Tull's a legendary band. You know, if you sit there and you ask some people to be on, on to play with you, it must be a little mm. intimidating for them just because... You do no. have this magnitude of, you know, people, you know, Steve I and Joe Satriani say you're their influence. <laughs> I mean, it must be sort of, I mean, how did you find those first musicians to play? Uh, well, you know, I, I knew a few people and um, I'd, I'd, doing other projects, you know. That, so the guys on Away With Words, Frank Mead plays some Blackwood flute. Uh, I mean, but, but he was in my band. I was putting a band together at the same time. And doing gigs in England, um, but you know, trying to get agents and promoters, you know, t- t- trying to kickstart um, my career again. So I, I, I had, uh, and then I had a guitar player, French guitar player that I'd worked with, d- doing this Excalibur rock opera, which I'd done in the Toll days. Um, so, so I had, I had people I'd worked with on other projects, and I brought them all together so that they already knew me. So, so there was nobody. You know, out the blue, uh, and, and even Dan Crisp, who, who sings on all my stuff. You know, I, I'd, I'd met Dan and I'd worked with him doing little um, uh, open mic nights locally and sort of doing doing uh, an acoustic project just for fun. So we, we all knew each other, and you know, you know, there's no airs and graces. Uh, I, I've never, I, I don't have attitude. Um, I like other musicians. I don't care if they're famous or totally unheard of. I treat them the same, and and I, I enjoy working with people. So, it's, it's I, I never. There's no thought in my mind about intimidation. So I guess if I'm not thinking on that line, that then that they don't find it either. Um, so it, it 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 sort of came together very easily and. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm always very positive when I work with people because um, I genuinely like working with people and, and getting to know people, you know, seeing what they have to offer musically. It, 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 uh, they're not just people who come in and, and I pay them a bit of money and, and they do what I ask them to do. Uh, I, I want more than that. I bet also it may go back to a little bit when you first joined Jethro Tull and you had to hang out with a roadie. You probably remember a little bit what it felt to be the outsider yeah. and you don't want them to go yeah. through. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and it's hurtful. And um, but you know, I've 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 watched every musician in the world and watched how they behave, and and you can learn so much about what not to do. Uh, watching other people, and uh, you know, the, the first guy I met who I had total respect for as a musician and as a person was Leslie West, and uh, you know, great band and the communication amongst the, the guys in the band on stage, off stage, but, but, but they were really role models for me in in in, in, how, in behavior, really. Now, with your solo albums, you, as I said, you, you did one in 2013, 14, 15, and now the one in 2018. Has mm. your writing style changed? Has the mute, have you tried to change the music? Or how have you, have you grown as a writer, do you think? Uh, but not for me to say. You know, I, I read the reviews and and I, I'm uh, the, the, the Back to Steel had very positive reviews. You know that they, they weren't all glowing, uh, but then you know I, I had a Beatles song in there. I had two Toll songs. Um, it, you know, it, it wasn't the, the last album is me. <laughs> there was I just thought it's time to put my neck on the line. There's going to be just my music on this album. Um, so it, 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 I think I mean I hope I developed in a in a positive way as a, as a songwriter, and, and the, the best thing about it is that I'm new to it, so I'm in the same uh, situation as a 16 year old musician writing their first seed um, album of songs. Um, I'm, I'm new to it. I'm, I'm learning how to write music. I'm learning how to write songs. I mean I've been writing music for years and years and years. But that's not the same, you know. I'm I'm, have, I'm writing lyrics. Uh, I'm trying to be a better songwriter. I have to sort of gauge what makes a good song, what what, what I have to do to get a good vocal line, and um, for it all to to work. Uh, it's it's a it's a challenge, and and it's difficult. Uh, but I love a challenge, and and I, I just hope that, that I get better as a songwriter all the time, and. Uh, you know that the, I'm I'm very sensitive to what people think, um, whether I would act on negative um, conversation. I don't know because you know I've I've I've, I've got that self belief that that what I do is what I think is what I want to do and need to do, um, and it might not not necessarily be earth shatteringly groundbreaking or get in the top. 10 um, album charts worldwide but but it's me and and I just I just want it to be the best I can ever do now your singer uh, Mr. Crisp I believe you said his name is mm -hmm. this sound does he sound a little bit like Ian for when he does the mm -hmm. uh, the, the Jethro Tull songs or is it something that yeah. you're doing your own take on them so it doesn't have to sound like Ian, because we all know what the songs are, because we came to see you and we know your music. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I, I've his agenda isn't to sound like Ian, uh, and and I've always told Dan, you know, it, the, the melodies, some of them are written in stone. You know, you can't really change the melodies of of those classic songs much, because the audience know the melody and and they won't like it. But you've got to be your own person. You know, you just. Um, you know, to tonality is yours, 
But I've known Dan for 10, 12 years. And when I first met him, he'd he'd never heard any toll music. And he he doesn't sound any different now to how he sounded then. He's he's better, but it's the same voice. So I know that he hasn't tried to uh, be a copy of, of Ian at all. It's, it, Dan is being Dan, but it's, he is singing a song of Jethro Tull. So, you know, this, um, I've got no idea who's playing guitar with Ian, but it, it's highly likely that he sounds like me right. because he's playing, he's playing all my music. <laughs> he's playing guitar parts that I wrote. Therefore, you know, it, uh, to a, a larger or to some degree, is going to be the same as me. Now the tour you just did, you just played some gigs. Now you also mentioned the celebrate you celebrate fifty years of Jethro Tull. Are they two different tours, or is it the same one? It's a different tour because it's got um, Clive Bunker uh, playing drums with, with with my drummer Darby Todd. It's got Dee Palmer playing keyboards. Uh, it's got the two girl singers that are on Roads Less Travelled. So it's an eight piece band, and it's purely Tull. Uh, video support. Um, it, it's the story of Tull from A, a to Z, uh, and uh, you know, there's not, not enough hours in the evening to play all the music I'd like to. But I mean, I, I'll play flute, I play acoustic. It, it's going to be a real representation of the career of Jethro Tull, and, and it'll have three original members, which is pretty unique now that, that that will never happen again so you won't be playing anything from uh roads less traveled no not on the toll tour no no it's purely um the music of jethro toll and then the martin bar band tours will be back to the sort of formula that we follow now where it's a sort of 50 50 mix or 60 40 uh you know, you know again there's no fixed formula I, I just we play the music we want to play and uh, we've been playing a couple of Beatles songs on stage just because they sound great and uh, I, I'm an entertainer I, I want to entertain an audience visually and musically so um, and, and, and I have that freedom to, to decide what to play oh, and I only play music that the audience love now, on Roads Less Traveled, you have, I believe, two songs with female singers. What yep. made you want to incorporate that? Was that something that, you know, you had said you had loved, you know, the old uh, Irish folk? Because there was female singers in that. Or what made you want to bring females in? Was it something that you always have said, you know what, I, I want to have a, a female sing lead in these songs? Yeah, you know, I, the, 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 there's no, uh, again, I don't have a rule book. Uh, and I, I, I like people... The idea that people put on a CD, they just bought it, and uh, and they, they listen to track one, and they go, okay, okay, yeah, I can recognise Martin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the, then three or four tracks in the summit go, wow, <laughs> that's different. I, I want people to, to listen to the end of the CD because they literally don't know what's going to come next. I don't want any predictability. I, I, I love variety, so, you know, all these blues and rock and riffs and mandolins and classical guitars and different voices but they all live together and uh, and I just want that huge spectrum of of uh, of music 
to come across. Uh, I, I just like the idea that that everybody will listen to the whole CD and go. I think I'm going to listen to it again. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I hate buying music, and, and I don't buy much because mainly I'm so disappointed by the the content and. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, you get a couple of good tracks and the rest is like, okay, it's just a variation of track one and two. Uh, I, I really think that, that when you're buying a CD, you're buying every one of those tracks and, and you could pick, if somebody said, what's your favourite track? Anyone. Uh, pick anyone you like. But, but they're all equal in my mind because they all deserve to be there. But they, they, they have deserve to have their place on the CD. Now, why did you pick on the latest uh, CD album uh, and the band played only for me for your last song? Because that's, that's a little, it's, it's, a, it's a good song, it's slower, but did you think, did, why did you choose that one to be the last track? Because uh, it's got a, a great keyboard solo on it. And, um, you know, what, what, what? again, I don't want to be predictable, you know, I don't want to go out on a wailing guitar solo. I'd rather... Somebody go. Oh, I have to listen to it again to listen to some more guitar. I, 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 the, 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 there was. I didn't plan anything. Um, I believed in the song, and I believed that the end result would work. But it, but it took a lot of um, experimentation to, to get it right. And at first, it didn't sound good. Uh, and I, but, but I, I knew in my mind and in my heart that that it had. Musically, all the ingredients. It was just a, a way of presenting it in a way that was sounded really good. So Becca sang the vocals, which is sort of a great, um, you know, sort of twenties, thirties style of, of of vocals, and uh, and and then Josiah who did the the Hammond. Uh, it, it just works so well to me. I, I just. I enjoy it. I enjoy listening to what they've done, and, and uh, why not? <laughs> now, do you do you do you have a lot of tour dates coming up? As I said, you're you know you're busy yes. with both tours. It must be great when you go on the road because you see fans who have been, who've been fans forever, and now it's it's generational where there's probably fans who have their turned their kids on the Jethro Tull, who they've turned their kids, mm. there's probably grandkids there. Does yeah. that make it? Does that yeah. make it that much better? Because you know you, that you've touched generations. I mean, when you look at yourself, you have to say that that's really cool. Oh, I do, I do, and 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 there was, uh, you know, I, I I still am amazed that that young kids come to the gigs, and and when I see one in the audience, I almost pleading, don't leave, don't leave. I really, I really want them to enjoy the music because you know that the 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 fans that already exist, I, I, you know, it's, it's important for them as well. But, but but they know me, they know the music. But you get a some young kid watch the, the band for the first time. It's it's really important to me that for one teenager to enjoy my music is really incredible. Um, it's a, it's a really good feeling, and I don't expect it. So it's very, very special when, you know, if I meet people after the show, um, I'm, I'm always intrigued what their opinion is and why they like it. it it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely thing. Well, you know, it's with, with your uh, the, the Jethro Tull tour, you have 
a lot of dates day after day after day. Does it get grueling as you get older? Does the road, is it mm. a little bit harder on you now? Yeah, it is. You know, I stay fit. You know, I go running a lot and I, I do a lot of sports. But look, there's no disguising. Your body is telling you you can't do what you used to do 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. So, you know, I used to do a 40-minute run. Um, now I go out for an hour. But the reason why is because I'm slower. <laughs> so I do the same run that I did 40, took me 40 minutes 20 years ago. But, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I love the outdoors uh, and and, and I, I, I don't really have a keep fit regime. Uh, I eat sensibly, but, but I, I know I, I love life and I, I want a lot more of it. And I love music and I want a lot more of music as well. And yeah, it is tiring. And um, uh, I've done it a long time. So, so I make sure that we do it in the easiest, most enjoyable way we do. So when we go on the road, especially in America, we, we, we take food in ice chests. So, you know, uh, when we have our lunch break, we don't go to a fast food. Right. We, we stay, we find a picnic area. We lay a table with you know, meats and cheeses and fruit. Uh, we have a, we eat really well and we should do. Everybody should do, but, but what, why shouldn't we? You know, I, I, I fight the, the, the system where you don't have the choice to eat good food and to travel well. You know, I, I, I hate the, the fact that travel and food and all these things that have been so, uh, you know, it, it's too big. You know that the the whole thing with travel now—you're you, just a, a, a like a animal. You, you, you don't have that quality of life. It's, it's all about the cost and, and getting you from A to B as cheaply as quickly as possible without even knowing your name. No, you know, I, I, I want the journey to be part of the pleasure. Right. Well, you know, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to ask you one more question, though. Do you think, yes. and I think you should be, and me and my friend were talking about this the other day, do you think Jethro Tull should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, I, I, I don't I don't have a, a, an opinion one way or another, you know. Um, it's not for me to say, and, and I think I said earlier, I don't have that it's not part of my makeup to say, look, you know, I'm, I'm amazing. Right. <laughs> I'm ever going to say that. Am I, and, and people say, oh, I really, if people compliment my guitar playing, uh, I'm surprised. I don't expect it because I, I just do the best job I can do. I've already said this. Uh, I'm, but, but it's never going to be good enough. I, I'm never going to be as good a guitar player as I want to be. Um, and so the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a, a definitive thing. It means you you are you know historically incredible, but in my mind, th that's not the end of the journey. You know that the if, if you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, to me there'd be the Rock and Roll Hall of Superstar Fadem. You know, can uh, <laughs> even say it. you know, but a level up, and then you get that in that one. And there'd be another one, right. like you know, the Elite Platinum Club. <laughs> um, it, it's it's uh, it, it's nice, I, I, and, and I met the people. They took us round the, the museum. It's very very well run. They were very gracious to you know the Martin Bar band. This was uh, very friendly, 
very interesting and, and it's a, a, a wonderful place. So yes, I'd love to be part of that. It would be a, 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 a I'd be very very proud to be. But you know, I don't expect to be there. Well, we want you in there, damn it, and that's what we're saying. <laughs> anyway, I want to thank you, people. Well, uh, people, go to martinbar.com. It has all his tour dates. His, look at the guitars. It's really cool, and you read about it. It has a history, and that's martin, M-A-R-T-I-N-B-A-R-R-E.com. So please go, and if you're not, if you, if you can get his music, get his, his, he has the solo albums, listen to Jethro Tull. You know, get music. Music is a part, part of your life. So people, don't forget, uh, go check that website out. Check my website out, coopertalk.net. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. My email is cooper at coopertalk.net. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you, Mark.